Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. The Bank of Canada has raised their benchmark interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point to 4.5%, the highest it's been since 2007. This is the eighth consecutive interest rate hike for the Bank of Canada, but Governor Tiff Macklem signaled that it might be the last hike of the cycle. One of the most significant announcements made by the Bank of Canada in their policy report is that they are confident in bringing down inflation to target 2% by 2024. We're joined today by renowned economist Don Drummond to unpack if this timeline is advantageous and to see what this 25 basis point rate hike means for housing, markets, consumer spending, and the real economy. Don has held several senior roles at the Federal Department of Finance, including Associate Deputy Minister, where he was responsible for economic analysis, fiscal, and tax policies. He later served as Senior Vice President and Chief Economist at TD Bank, and is currently Fellow-in-Residence at the C.D. Howe Institute. One key takeaway today that Don shares with host Pamela Ritchie is noting that inflation has peaked and should continue dropping under 6% year-over-year as we get into this spring. Stay tuned for all of this and more. Today's podcast was recorded on January 26th, 2023. And please note, as this was originally presented as a webcast, you'll hear references to a few charts. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Welcome back to you, Don. Great to see you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you here. Um, so what do you think? Is pause too strong a word for what they're announcing? As, a, as they say, a conditional pause has got a big if in it. If the world unfolds the way they predict it will unfold, the economic and particularly the inflation projections they laid out in yesterday's report, then they're pretty clearly done. But of course, they've left the door pretty wide open that if things don't unfold the way they project them, and, and they kind of put their finger on what they're really worried about, and that's the stickiness of the service sector inflation. If those inflation numbers don't come down the way they're hoping and predicting, then they're not done. They're going to go again. So, you know, it, it's interesting because usually the bank account's forecasts are complete garbage because you need to know one variable, the interest rate, and they don't give you that. But at least this time, you can imagine their economic forecasts or projection of inflation are most likely based on the current interest rate prevailing. So at least there's some information content, and they seem to think, think for the moment that should do the trick and move us back to 2%. So sorry, interest rate prevailing, meaning staying at this Stay point. Stay there, yeah. Said, but you know, the, the market, of course, continues, a lot of countries, but to, to price in cuts, basically. I, I find that really funny because we were getting so much news of people anticipating and building in their outlooks these cuts even six months ago. I was like, whoa, talk about being premature. We're not even at the peak of the cycle. We're not even at that point at the pause. That 
I'm sure the Bank of Canada is not giving one second of thought to that. They want to see the whites of the eyes of the 2% inflation before they're doing it. All their worries on the other side that inflation is going to prove to it there. Obviously, they don't want to see a big recession. They don't want a lot of people out of work, but they're more worried about hitting their inflation target than they are about a need to bring interest rates back. I think that's well off into the future. So when you saw the jobs report in December in Canada, um, I mean, most people sort of read that as another rate hike right now. We've seen that. Um, Do you think they might have been willing to sort of pause a little earlier, but the data obviously came through as it did for jobs? Even when they released the summary of their meeting minutes, we'll probably never get to what the true conversation was. But I think if we somehow had planted a microphone in the offices of the Bank of Canada a few months ago, they were probably prepared to be done at that point. And that was the last thing they wanted to see. Good for 104,000 people who found their jobs, but that's not what they wanted to see. I think they were, you know, assuming and hoping more for a, a flat number, a barely a positive. That was just a blockbuster increase. Uh, you know, it's funny talking to Americans who say, you, you know, you, you realize that you're, you're normally 10 to 1. That's over a million jobs created in the United States. A million jobs? Like, we never have that. And I said, well, either do we. That was a huge increase well into an interest rate cycle and people are worried about recession. Well, you know, the labor force survey is one of our biggest sites surveys that covers 100,000 people. It's well stratified, but, you know, it still is a survey. It still is a sample. It's got a pretty big standard deviation around the confidence of the numbers. Maybe it wasn't a true measure. Maybe we'll see it unwind in in future. When you're in the survey, you stay in for six months. So if there's something unusual about the group that came into December, the number will stay like that for six months. And then in six months time, you can see it unwind. We're going to put up some charts in a second from from the actual report itself. But I just want to ask you, going going back to sort of the discussion of cuts and and what you think about it, which I think you've shared, but it certainly plays into what you're seeing in long bond where you're looking at yields years out from here. There's the market is certainly sending a very particular message that doesn't seem to agree with what you're saying. I find more fascinating the Bank of Canada rate decisions is what's happening to longer term bonds. So just pick as an example, the 10 year government of Canada bond, it's below 3%. Now, half full or half empty, that's over double what it was at its lowest point a couple of years ago. But that's still a very low level. That's that's the second lowest that they've ever been historically. Even if we were at 2% inflation or we're nowhere near that, that's barely a positive real rate return at all. So, you know, it, it indicates there's not a lot of money to be made from fixed income and in and, and terms of that in your portfolio more than before, but still not a lot. But on the other hand, it indicates at least bond markets are voting that inflation is not going to take off permanently, probably anticipating some softening economy. But I think they're looking for the future and thinking, yeah, the future probably holds lower and stable inflation and therefore we're not going to see at least a continuation of the interest rate increases to the point just in terms of these interest rate increases no one should ever anticipate we're going back to the interest rates we had as you referred to the low the highest interest rates since 2007 you know when we look back in a long term of history the abnormality will be how rock bottom low they were that's not normal and you think the bank of canada's neutral estimate was consistent with two percent inflation is two to three percent and we're you know 4.5 it's not that far outside of the range of neutral so we're not talking about really high interest rates that 
need to be brought back down. Right. Fascinating. Okay, let's bring up the first chart here. I think this is, it's, it's looking at inflation easing, but poor indeed is still persistent. So we'll, this, these are all coming out of the actual report itself. This is the first one. And I'll kind of ask you to take us through that. So there's Canada, there's the US. They obviously started hiking earlier than the other comparatives, the Eurozone and, and the United Kingdom. I'm curious, just getting to the heart of how you read inflation. There's lots of year-over-year numbers um, in the report. I'll let you comment on that because I know you have thoughts on that. Well, I'll just refer to the year-over-year because that's exactly what your chart shows. And I think the messages from this chart are, are twofold, that Canada is far from alone in this. It's affecting virtually every economy in the world. And that's not surprising because the root cause of it, high commodity prices, constrained supply chains, strong demand are being felt by most of the economies around the world. And that's generating good old flashing inflation as, as it did decades ago when those conditions prevailed. The second message is ever so slightly the year over year numbers are coming down, albeit unacceptably high. To me, I don't like to look at the year over year numbers. And I, I believe you have a chart that looks at more monthly and the more recent quarterly numbers. They paint quite a different picture than those year over year statistics. Yeah, I think this is the next chart. So it is also. Yeah, so here here we're looking at the monthly data. So we have been, if, if it, this is the total CPI, but if you wanted to look as the Bank of Canada and, and others would be more likely to look at the CPI excluding food and energy. So the, the, the red line, uh, we've been running below a 4% rate of inflation since July of 2022. So we're half, a, you know, 4% still double the Bank of Canada's target. I'm not suggesting that we should be complacent about that. It's still unacceptably high. But I think if you ask most Canadians what's the rate of inflation, they would say just a little bit above 6% because they always see that year-over-year number being featured. But the month-to-month annualized for half a year now have been running a bit below 4%. This is important in the context of the future as well because the Bank of Canada predicts the rate of inflation will come down to 3% by mid-2023. And that might sound heroic if you're in the mindset the current rate of inflation is 6%, but all it takes is a continuation of the recent monthly pattern and it will come down. Another way of expressing that is that we had big inflation numbers in March, April, May, 2022. And as we go through those months in 2023, they'll drop out of the year over year calculation and those year over year numbers will come down quite sharply. So as we start getting into the spring, we'll start to see quite a bit lower inflation numbers. Now, you know, I, I wish the media would report more on the month to month and the quarterly. The Bank of Canada does quite a bit, even not enough in their cases I would like to see. But, it, you know, it's fun with statistics if you want. Year over year, it's got a lot of historical baggage attached to it and it's telling you more about early 2022 than it is about the last six months. Which is sort of just at the beginning of the rate hike cycle right. when it began there. Okay, l- let's dig into housing here for a second. We'll put the next chart up. This is housing activity that is slowed. Certainly, lots of discussion. Everyone knows the discussion about mortgage rates and variable mortgages and so on. We're seeing here, obviously, what the Bank of Canada is putting forth. Uh, and there is the weakening data. I guess the question that everyone wants to know is are we about done? Well, you know, housing is exactly the same thing as your perception all depends on what data you look at. What we're being inundated by with the media reports and people in the real estate industry is the decline since the peak, 
and depending what city you're in, that was typically February or March of 2022. And that's big, but is that relevant? And, and what's abnormal? Is the price today abnormal? Or was the peak price abnormal? I would argue the peak prices were abnormal and unsustainable. And people are all focused on the hit to affordability of housing, realize the mortgage rates. But what about the affordability when the housing prices were at their peak? It, yeah, well, sure. For a while, you could get a rock bottom mortgage rate, but uh, you couldn't in major cities, you couldn't buy anything, even a, a fixer upper for under a million dollars. How's that for affordability? So, I mean, do you then go back to look at where housing either needs to correct you or what, you know, the story is? Do you go back to sort of when interest rates went to rock bottom and we're going back sort of 15 years here or how? Well, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not sure. 50, you know, a bit of a tangent, but this is a footnote. I, my desperate hope is over the next five or 10 years, monetary authorities, monetary economists, everybody involved in this will take a good hard look at this monetary experiment, I'll call that, an experiment since the financial crisis of 15 years of hyper-monetary stimulus. Did it accomplish anything good? It inflated asset prices and it created an affordability issue. Yeah, you, you, you could get a mortgage at a rock bottom rate, but you had to come up with $700,000 and, and you have these huge mortgages, which created an unacceptable degree of, of risk. I, my belief is monetary policy should not be deviating from neutral for long periods of time. If there's a problem, you hit it hard, you hit it fast, and you go back to neutral fast. You don't end up away from neutral for about 15 years. And, you know, monetary policy has made two huge blunders that have been very costly. In the mid-2000s, almost all monetary authorities were very sanguine that if inflation was under control, you wouldn't have wild economic cycles. And no sooner did they drink that Kool-Aid than we had the biggest one of them all. And it just shows if you don't pay attention on the regulatory side, and here we're talking about the Federal Reserve Board as the prime culprit, if you allow that subprime mortgage market and all these increasing principles on the mortgages that are taking off in California, if you don't pay attention to that, you're going to suffer, even if inflation wasn't a problem and interest rates weren't particularly high. So they blew it then. And now I think we've got 15 years of hyperstimulus that in the end didn't accomplish anything. And that, But even if it did for a while, they kept the interest rates too low for far too long. So we, we have to have this housing price correction. But I don't know about looking back to where we were prior to 2007, maybe just back to where we were in 2018 and 2019. And if you look at it from that perspective, the housing prices are still reasonably high. I don't think the collapse, and that's the 500,000 number, that's the government's target for, for uh, new permanent residents. That's a lot of people to be housing in one way or another. And, you know, it's all, but even if they come into an apartment, the, the, you still need to buy those units. We are building about 200, 220,000 housing starts per year. That's not going to cut it to increase that amount of population. Well, sort of on that point, the, the, the question of inflation, do you think that actually we'll get down to a 2% target or do you think that target actually will change? Oh, it definitely won't change. Uh, the Bank of Canada, along with the government of Canada, just did their multi-year effort. To, they do every five years to evaluate the target. They throw all kinds of darts on the on the board, on the wall. Should it be lower? Should it be a price level target? Should it be a different measure of inflation? And so far, since the 1990s, they've come back to 
this two percent with a in a, within a range of one to three percent. But they just recently settled that that that's not going to change for a while. Uh, I I think it it may prove difficult to get back to that. Uh, who knows on the international front? And you know, China's coming out of a fairly firm lockdown, and everybody's focused on their weak growth because their demographic, at least in the short term, demand's going to get revised. They'll be traveling again. There'll be increase in aviation fuel and the like. Commodity prices may firm in some, and and you know, five percent wages is going to prove sticky on generalized price increases as well. I, I think we'll get it. The question will be, will we get it at a 4.5% central bank rate, or will it take further increases and more economic damage to get it? So I want to uh, go to a couple of questions. If you can tell me a little bit about where you see any discussion of a green transition, an energy transition, and essentially how it either feeds into inflation or it's coming for our overall economy, perhaps for growth. I mean, discuss how you see this. Well, in the near term. Yeah, I, I, I guess as, as I look out to the future, monetary policy being successful is the biggest criteria for a successful economy. And I worry about that, given the blunders leading to the financial crisis, given this inflation experience. They got to figure out what they're supposed to do, which is basically not much. I, I would just like to see the bank account of the Federal Reserve Board lounging in their desks with their feet up and that to just letting things go, not constantly trying to stimulate the economy that we've done in the past that comes to bad. Well, why, why do they do that? I mean, why do they do that? Uh, I think they thought they thought they could make life better. And who wouldn't want to have even more employment? Do you remember Alan Greenspan in the mid-2000s famously said they were going to probe the level of potential output. Well, they probed it all right and it jumped back at them and created a, a huge problem. And Jeff Macklin kind of said the same thing, right? He basically said, we're going to keep the stimulus on just to see how high employment could go. Well, that didn't turn out too well either. So, you know, they've got to be rock solid. They haven't been rock solid in the past. So we're going to have a good future. That's got to start out. How we choose and integrate the 500,000 immigrants is going to be critically important. We got to stop the saying we need more immigrants to stimulate economic growth. That surely is not the objective. Why would we be any better if we just double our economy? It's it's our incomes per capita. Immigration could lead to higher incomes per capita, but it won't if it's not done well. So we need a lot of work on that front. And then the transition to net zero. And all you need to know about that is we're a carbon intensive economy. We got bad marks on both sides. We're carbon intensive and we're light on clean growth technology. So our starting point isn't good. I hasten to add as most emphatically as I can, this is not an argument for not driving to net zero. Better to have a rocky road to net zero than to burn up as toast. We got to do it, but it's not going to be easy. We've got a government that is putting out the desire to do it. They've indicated that heavy lifting is going to be done by a carbon tax going to $170. By 2030, we're in 2023, we've never been told how it's going to go and when it's going to go. I find that shocking and totally unacceptable. If the carbon price is going to be doing the heavy lifting, why do we feel we need to match every single green growth subsidy coming out of the United States? They've chosen the intervention of subsidy route instead of the carbon price. We shouldn't be doing both. But how are those going to mix? And what I find frustrating from the government of Canada You'll get an 800-page document of the budget that talks about the economy. It says almost nothing about the environment. 
and then you'll get a 300-page document on the environment that almost says about nothing about the economy. They're together, the economy and the environment, and we're never going to make the environment goals if we destroy the economy because there'll never be a political and a public will to do it. They have to be linked. But I'm not sure sitting here in 2023 exactly what our strategy is and how the different pieces are supposed to fit together. And they really got to create a certainty. Like, when's that carbon price going up? How is it going to be affected? Well, you start to see, I mean, I was, I was just reading something actually out of the New York City. I think it was in the Post. But um, taking a look, you know, the pensions for various cities in the United States and, you know, around the world, this is happening, sort of leaning on those that they invest in to really come up with dates and, you know, on when they're going to see some of these transition things happening. And, and from the city perspective, because they want to make sure that they are invested properly. Um, it's pension funds for people in the city. I mean, you, you do see lots of weight being thrown around. Do you see less of that right now? I see a tremendous attention from the corporate world, but it can, a incredible confusion. I, I can't really think of any operation that doesn't today need to figure out what their cost structure is going to be in 2030. If you're running a public transit, what kind of fuel do you, what kind of fuel do you, do you buy? If you're a corporation, what technology do you place? Where do you place your production? How can you do that when you don't know what the policy course is going to be? And, you know, I, the flavor from the corporate sector for the longest time is like, don't do anything, don't use the carbon tax, but it's matured beyond that. I think there's an acceptance we have to do this, but they're telling me we want to know how and when so we can adapt to it. And I don't think they have the information they need to do that. I'm hoping this budget will enlighten everybody in that. Don't know, we'll have to see on that point. Okay. Well, while we're waiting to see on that front, what do you see for commodities? So, so in sort of there's a little bit of a of a pause there on that kind of development. Do commodities, for instance, oil exports for Canada, continue? I mean, how do you see that leaning into a Chinese opening? Well, I th I think we're definitely going to see a slowing in world growth. Um, we we've typically seen four and even five percent growth in the world economy as as being normal, led by China. Clearly, in the next year, just for the cyclical slowdown, but for some of these structural things, the demographics affecting China, we're going to be much slower than that. But I think it will probably cause a further reversal. We've seen commodity prices come down tremendously in the last couple of months, and they'll probably come down further than that. Uh, you know, Canada, let, let's not forget, Canada's commodity base is still going to contribute to the Canadian economy, and they are making remarkable changes in terms of their own emissions. They're not disappearing anytime overnight. And I think they will still be around and they'll be vibrant, but they'll be unrecognizable from what they are today. And there'll be different forms. You all see a lot of the oil and gas companies are under renewables right now. Same general field, but a very different uh, production mix. Let's put up the final chart here from the report. This is um, looking at CPI. Uh, inflation is forecast to return to target in 2024. We talked about this earlier, what we might see by midway through this year but ultimately sort of returning to that target in 2024. Anything here to sort of point out to us that either, I mean, that's obviously their hopeful direction of travel. What Do you see any problems with that? Uh, in every Bank of Canada statement, other than perhaps this one, this chart and the statement is absolutely meaningless. 
The Bank of Canada has a singular target, and that's to have 2% inflation. They cannot possibly put out a document that doesn't show at some point them hitting 2% inflation. If they didn't show that, they'd all have to walk out there and mass resign. It has to look like failure. But we don't know at what interest rate they get 2%. This time, we probably presume it's at the 4.5% policy interest rate. We don't know that for certain, but I think I think we can be reasonably confident we did that. You know, they, they could have showed that chart two two uh, years ago, and maybe they're assuming a 10% interest rate to get it. That's why I said I doubt that, but it just shows you how meaningless the chart is. 2% inflation, yeah, sure. What we didn't tell you is we're assuming we're raising the rates to 10%. At this point, I think they believe the 4.5 would be sufficient to get them back. But they're worried, obviously. Who wouldn't be worried? And no, for sure. And in particular about the service prices. Australia just printed a, a 40 year high inflation rate. Is there a warning here for Canada? Inflation can come back. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you talk about your cliches, the vicious circle. Uh, you've got inflation hit 8% running at 6%. You've got wage increases at 5%. That, the 5% wage costs without very strong productivity raises unit labor costs that goes back and raises prices and that's going to create more pressure for the wages it's hard to break that kind of cycle uh, having commodity prices come down would be wonderful uh, the improvement in the global supply chains um, if we could see some peace in ukraine not for the sake of the people of ukraine above all else but for the world economy that would definitely help as well right Questions uh, coming back to sort of the story of jobs, ultimately, how will the stimulus that is still floating around in the system affect wage inflation? I mean, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen wage inflation. What do you think about some of the comments and jobs in this report from the Bank of Canada? Yeah, I, I think the anticipation over the next 12 months is we'll see a pretty flat profile for jobs, which all in all wouldn't be that bad. Let's remember, we're at a 5% unemployment rate. We've had the current labor force survey since 1976, and we've never been at an employment rate this low. And, and then it comes back to a lot of these economic statistics. Uh, you look at the change or you look at the level. So even if we have no improvement in employment, let's keep in mind, it will still likely a bit a high level. And even if the unemployment rate edges back up a bit, it's still going to be very low by historical standards. We're normally seeing six and a half to seven and a half percent unemployment rates and we probably won't hit that even if we do have this patch of weakness. So we'll probably see a weakness. We'll probably see a capping of the wage pressure. I don't think it'll go over the 5% and it'll probably start to drift down from there when we get the better inflation numbers. Right. Great question on currencies, US dollar versus CAD versus EM. I mean, it's been quite a story actually in the last six months on the currency front. What, what do you see going forward? Well, Unfortunately, uh, economists have failed a lot in their exchange rate predictions. I mean, the one in theory that should work is just purchasing poverty. And we have grosso modo about a 20% productivity deficiency relative to the United States. So in the economist's infamous statement of everything else equal, we deserve a dollar that's about a 20% discount. And you know, we were hanging around there for quite a while. But you got to note, these purchasing power parity predictions have rarely worked very well anywhere at any time in the world. And we get big distinctions. And in Canada, largely because of commodity prices. That doesn't seem to be the particular weakness, but this does raise a concern. If the Bank of Canada's on pause, it wouldn't be helpful if the Federal Reserve Board keeps going and going and going. 
because then that would create the, the negative interest rate differential Canada, the United States, which would further weaken the value of the Canadian dollar, which would add further pressures to inflation. So okay. what, what, one should hope that if anything, we would get some firming of the Canadian dollar and uh, add to the disinflation pressures from that. It's, and again, even if the dollar appreciates somewhat and an exporter might think that's bad, remember, it's at, it's at a very low level right now. We are way, way away from parity. Okay. Oh, that's great. We'll leave it there. John Drummond, thank you very, very much for taking us through this report, giving your thoughts and putting it into context for all of us. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.